Welcome to the 10th podcast. Uh, we've hit double digits. How awesome is that? Tysonversation has made it to double digits and one guest. But we're going to be changing that this coming week for Tysonversation number 11. We should have another guest on. I won't reveal who it is, but they are from the calisthenics world. So that's going to be exciting. Um, I'm recording this one, Tysonversation 10, a day earlier than usual because I'll be shooting a TV commercial tomorrow. Nothing too exciting, nothing really to gossip about, but it's taking place when I usually would be recording for the podcast. So I'm just recording it a day earlier on a Sunday and... I'm still going to put it out as normal. What an interesting story. I'm just doing, I've kind of tried to just blur in straight into housekeeping for this one. Get a little bit of the muscle memory going from the last five we've done. Um, so yeah, I'm just, what's been happening? Um, I mentioned last week I was putting out a video on my story, my journey to achieving the straddle planche. And it's just taken a little bit longer to rehash the story articulately and accurately in my head because you don't actually think about these things it will I, I didn't actually think about these things as I did them and log them as step by steps into how I achieved the straddle planche um, so I just wanted to think back and it took a little bit longer to think how it accurately occurred so that my journey is not just me making up how it happened as realistically what hurdles I had over what amount of time and why. Because the idea of sharing this story to how I got my straddle plant is to be completely open about it, talk about the struggles I had and the things that were easier for me, and it helps you guys. So putting that together, I'm nearly finished with it, but I just want to do, say, one or two more revisions before I decide to record it and put it out for you guys. So I've got that video I'm planning on putting out as soon as possible and the podcast with a calisthenics guest coming this Wednesday, which I will just put out the following Monday. So remember if you hashtag Tysonversation, if you have any questions about calisthenics, just send it through and we can discuss it on the podcast. Um, and then the last housekeeping was, I mentioned last week I'm doing a fundraiser for the Sydney, well, I'm doing a fundraiser for multiple sclerosis and it is in the form of me and a couple of friends riding from Sydney to Wollongong, which in Australia, it's an 82 kilometer bike ride, which isn't that far by long, like, but if you're a cyclist, 82 kilometers isn't that far, but it's a decent distance if cycling isn't what you normally do. The first time I did this fundraiser and this event, when I rode to the end and people were like, yeah, like, thanks for doing it. My, I was, <laughs> and then my quads were locking up as I rode through the finish line. So it takes a bit. So I'm, you know, that's why I've been talking about my cycling training up to doing this. Anyway, I mentioned last week that I was doing this fundraiser and I put a link to donate to multiple sclerosis, finding a cure, funding research and helping to, provide services for people that do have multiple sclerosis. And it seemed like the only hits back I got were to do with, well, I think uh, maybe it was just one comment to do with, uh, 
a carnivore diet could help with multiple sclerosis. So it was kind of thinking I had multiple sclerosis, as in I'm not the link between the people that have multiple sclerosis and research and I relay that to them. I'm doing the cycle regardless and I'm fundraising regardless of, I'm hitting everything here. I'm all blown off because this is a day early. Um, yeah, I'm doing the fundraising anyway. I'm not going to go, oh, hey guys, I've not fundraised because carnivore diet could cure it. The fundraiser is about what I said, raising money for research into and to assist with resources for people dealing with this illness. It's not as simple as just changing your diet for every single person suffering with MS and then life's changed. So we're still fundraising. <laughs> I don't have MS and what we can donate goes towards the massive fundraiser that other people have organized. I'm just a participant trying to raise some money for MS, which basically takes away your movement. And the most common age you get it is age 30. And to have, I'm 30 next year, to have your movement taken away at that age would be just such a detriment to my life and identity. And I'm sure it is for so many out there. So if there's anything that we can do to alleviate any of the suffering and to prevent possibly this occurring or happening to other people in the future, we should be trying to do that as people that love and embrace movement. So I'll put the link again in the podcast notes and any amount you guys can donate would be extremely helpful towards that cause. So what have I been up to within the last week with training? I'm back on the Smolov Junior Cycle. I like how since I started this podcast, I've been on it. So I just seem like a Smolov dick jockey just riding this program the entire time. But the whole aim of this has been to improve my bench by doing two cycles of Smolov Junior. So I've started it up again and it's feeling good. I think I've spoken about Smolov a lot over the last podcast, so I'll just briefly say that, that I have started the program and it's feeling good. I actually still feel a little bit of something, a tweak in my chest from how I told you guys a couple podcasts ago, I unracked it and my spotter had changed the weight to the correct weight and I had not. So it came off as a different weight and you're a dickhead and tweaked your chest. And I still feel that two weeks on, which surprised me. But we're back on the Smolov train. Smolov Junior, that is. Um, what else? In uh, Jiu-Jitsu. So I've been going back to Jiu-Jitsu. I had the injury in July with my rib. And I've been looking for a competition ever since. The, that I had to cancel the one that was close to home. And I'm better now. The rib injury is fine. I'm ready to compete. And now it's just about finding a competition. And I've looked at a bunch of the competitions that are coming up. And none of them are in the location that I want them to be. And that's what's caused me to delay registering for another competition. Because they're either in Sydney, which is, I associate, you know, online and stuff as living in Sydney. But I actually live about an hour out of Sydney. 
or even further than that. And this is just keeping it real, guys. This is being totally honest. <laughs> um, I was putting off applying to a competition in Sydney because I had the worry that the athletes competing in Sydney, which is Australia's most populated city, <laughs> I was worried that I would be entering as a white belt with all the best other white belts in the country, so to speak, because it's Sydney, it's a capital city. Uh, you, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a main city, lots of people live there. And by going in to a very populated city with lots of people that practice jiu-jitsu, I wasn't, I'm not going to be as good as I might have been competing at a smaller event. And that makes me think I'd lose. And it makes me think that I'd be more prone to getting hurt while I'm there. Getting hurt, you know, getting an arm bar or a heel hook. And I know I've spoken about this a lot before, but if this is your first time listening to the podcast, my name is Tyson. Um, no, so I'm a generalist and I like to train a lot of different things. And the aim is to train and be able to train all these different things well into older age. So injury prevention is a large priority of mine. And the conundrum of mixed martial arts training or learning a martial art is you need to expose yourself to injury to learn how to overcome those things and improve as a martial artist. So it's a catch-22 here, and I feel like it's has lately fallen in favor of injury prevention because I'm avoiding a potential competition that will have what I perceive to have higher levels of competition than I wanted. And I'm looking at that as a threat to me causing me injury, which a heel hook would take away from my running, from my cycling, from my weightlifting, and an arm bar could potentially cause an injury that takes away from my handstand training, my gymnastics training. So I look at it as a major threat to all my other training. I feel like to be armbarred or heel hooked or whatever, and all you do is jujitsu, it's much easier to come back to that. But I think the wrong side is winning. I think I'm being too worried about something that's out of my control, and it's going against the things that I was saying earlier or have spoken about before that exposing yourself to that hardship and adversity or that threat to being injured is what makes you learn and makes you better at preventing those situations in future. I kind of need to expose myself to an actual competition, a jiu-jitsu competition setting and having the risk of being armbarred or getting armbarred so I can learn to not get armbarred. It sounds ironic, but that's what I need to do. And I'm just being a pussy by avoiding that just because I think there'll be more difficult competition in Sydney compared to a more smaller local competition it's stupid so i need to go and sign up for a competition and do my best and learn from that because i need to compete i need to get better i need to just get a first competition under my belt 
and learn from that and move on with life. You know, when you set a goal or something and you just think, yeah, I'll do that one day, one day, one day, and you finally do it. And then you feel like a weight's off your shoulders or you can now start thinking about different things. I've had that with a number of things in life. And I think this will be another one. I've not been thinking about it for too long, but I think I need to address it and get that first comp out the way and do it. And what motivated me to do that was a friend of mine, Hayden Wiseman from the UK, from in England. I, uh, he posted a video a while ago. He entered a mixed martial arts competition similar to the bike ride I'm doing for multiple sclerosis. He did an MMA match that was fundraising. And I can't remember what the actual charity was, but it culminated. He had people sponsor him, or not sponsor him, but or maybe sponsor is the right word. Pledge money, donate money to the charity to support his training towards a mixed martial arts event. And if you watch his video, I'll put it in the show notes. It's a really well-run mixed martial arts event and he did he did quite well for not having any jiu-jitsu training prior and he had did have a martial art background but not a complete mixed martial art background and the fact that he did eight weeks of training and went in in front of a crowd risked being knocked out and fought his ass off was i just came up through some video research i was doing and had a look at it, and I was like, God damn! That's awesome! That takes balls! And it motivated me to, why are you sitting around waiting for the perfect competition? Like, I'm not even thinking I'm gonna win. I'm just thinking, oh, I don't want them to all be too good. Don't be too good for me, please! You bitch! So... Yeah, it motivated me to actually do something about it, find a competition, which I haven't done yet, but these are my thoughts now, live in the podcast, uh, and motivating me to do it. So thanks for that, Hayden, for the motivation. Calisthenics and handstands. Um, oh, by the way, if you do hear a lot of noise, because again, I try and avoid this, but because I had to do the podcast a day early, I can't really choose what I'm doing. And I think this is the first time I'm actually going to warn you there's background noise and there will be background noise. Uh, so that's just so it's not awkward and you think I'm not aware. So the handstand training that I've been doing lately, I've realized that I really should just, if I want to be someone that is a hand not a handstand master but great at handstands i need to do a lot more practice on different surfaces and expose myself to a lot more adversity within a handstand and its shapes and sizes because i feel like i'm great at handstands in the perfect environment so that there's no there's no wind or anything it's a flat smooth even surface um, if you had any kind of element to that there's a drop off in front of me uh maybe i I tend to do all right under pressure of performance but you know maybe it's a performance i can't guarantee i'm going to kick up and hold a handstand so i just think a takeaway from this week's practice with my handstands is i would benefit from having adversity of practicing handstands on grass or just outdoors and finding things that are not necessarily even so that my 
let's just call them stabilizers for the handstand get a lot more work and it will just lead to a more well-rounded handstand more well-rounded control of the handstand so there's just a few details uh within the handstand that i feel like i'm lacking okay shut up please um the i'm back running that's the other thing um I'm easing into it. I mean, kind of with all this, I'm kind of easing into it. I've had two weeks off and everything in terms of its intensity uh, coming back. I don't want to just go back to what I was doing two weeks ago. I'm very calm, a very cautious boy. Uh, we're just easing into it. So I've eased into some running, just some 5Ks, treadmill and outdoors. Uh, cycling, there's been some more 40 kilometers. But the interesting thing with the cycling was i did a sprint session and far out sprints are awesome whether it's running whether it's the cycling uh it just it takes so much out of you and it's been two days since i did that and my glutes and quads and hamstrings just they still feel super tight like they were worked and now i'm just carrying these doms for two days and it was really unexpected because I didn't sprint much and it's created this amount of soreness and I just I find it interesting the the intensity and what this did to my legs is interesting because it worked glutes quads and hamstrings and cycling is quite low impact if you search a guy named Robert Forsterman He's a, I think he's a German sprint cyclist. Keep in mind, cyclists do squat. They do do other things. But look at the size of this guy's legs. You can't say, amongst other things, let's just be specific to the exercises, that cycling doesn't build up your legs depending how you are training it. And the fact that it is a lower intent, a lower stress on the joints compared to squats, it's just nice to have that option of being able to train your legs intense or for endurance just being able to train your lower body if there's a certain injury or something takes away from you and takes away your ability to squat i was thinking eh, i mean i know arnold schwarzenegger is kind of outdated in the way he trained and what he does is not a reflection of what you should do given his age but look at it given his age he's doing all isolation stuff and then i thought about look at someone younger but in a similar position that people look up to and stuff how old look at the rock who's mid 40s now and i was thinking have i does the rock squat i mean i'm sure he used to but he posts a lot of stuff in his iron paradise and I don't recall seeing much squatting going on. So I did a quick YouTube search and there is one video of him squatting quite recently, but he's doing it with a safety bar. He has a belt and he's going at best parallel. So he's made some adjustments. He's not just willy-nilly squatting out there. So even though the squat is a natural movement, if you're looking to get some intensity out of it, there might be some limitations on you as you get older and it's nice to know that there's other things that you can do that are easy on your 
easier on your joints, but you can still get intensity out of it. And that could be something like cycling. So that was another observation I made with my training. And that wraps up the training that I did for this week. Um, some, this feels so weird doing at night. I feel very unprepared for some reason because the sun's down. The uh, current events this week, I attended a running workshop, which I was excited to attend and tell you guys about because I'm so high on this running thing at the moment. I'm obsessed with figuring out how to not get injured from it because my perception is if you run a lot, you get injured because it's that constant uh, stress on the joints, consistent, bang. And I, I do run on concrete. So I'm waiting for the injury, but I'm also more looking for ways to not get injured. So this running workshop I attended was to do with prehab and rehab. You know, how to prepare for a run and what to do after a run. And I was interested in going to it, learning and just sharing some of what I learned with you guys and some of my thoughts. So the person that was teaching it, just kind of as a, you know, context for it, the person teaching it, to my knowledge, they didn't reveal, is like a world champion runner. They actually... It reminded me a lot of what Lachlan and I would do for when we started Ring Fraternity and what I do now a lot, which is promote functional types of training, promote gymnastics training for free as much as we could, you know, give away as much information as we could for free so people can train and move better you know they're not just finding gymnastics rings in their local gym and not knowing what the hell to do with them giving them some kind of idea on how to get into it and if they ever wanted to take it further there's classes they could do there's programs that i offer but just give some kind of base knowledge out there so people can get started on their own and have an opinion on it before they decide if they want to get more into it so i felt like this teacher was doing this with running, which is awesome. So kudos to that. And I would encourage more of that within the industry is if you have any kind of specialty knowledge to do these some workshops every now and then and share some of that knowledge. It doesn't give away every ounce of your being. So you can't make money from your trade or what you know, but put something out there for people that know nothing that might change the way they actually move for the better and guide them in the right direction. So my takeaways from this workshop were, uh, firstly, I went into it and I always go into movements with this. I did it with jujitsu. I do it with climbing. I'm doing it with running is an open mind and being open that I'm a noob, you know, I'm a beginner. I'm a beginner. Uh, I'll tell you how that can be a detriment in a second, but that's kind of how I go into it. So they can give me all their information. Actually, I'll just say it now. How it can take away if you go, I'm a beginner, I'm a beginner, is uh, they might hold back certain information because they think you're too dumb to understand. So maybe give a bit of an idea of what your background is, but be open-minded and say, like, or have the aura about you that you want to learn from them. You're not there to give them your thoughts on anything. You're there to see what they have to teach. 
So my takeaway was even with something like running, you need to do some kind of wake up to your muscles before you do it. You don't have to, this is what I learned, is do some kind of activation beforehand. Activate before you participate. I've wrote that down as a note. That's my own wording. I'm a rapper. Um, Activate before you participate. Nice one. Uh, Basically, I made a note of that because you look at, say, Rocky, the, the Rocky movies. When Rocky's training for a fight, he's always running. I think you might see, it's usually with fighters actually, but with a lot of people, if they've got running as part of their training, they might wake up early and just go out for that run. So the conception of it is that you can just do it. You can roll out of bed and go for it because it's low intensity. That seems to not actually... I mean, you can do it and get away with it, but I think you need to acknowledge it's like any other activity that you're demanding something of your body. There's certain technique to it or certain weaknesses people might have. Maybe their glutes don't switch on, which they should. Maybe their calves are super tight or their Achilles. So there should be just a general kind of routine you have before you actually go out and run. And at this workshop, it was recommended to do some foam rolling, Um, and glute and hip activation. So you can take or leave any of this information, but the glute stuff was hip bridges. So just laying on your back, knees bent, feet up close to your butt, laying, laying down on your back and then lifting your butt up and tensing the glutes. The other one, it's kind of hard to describe over a podcast or an audio platform is the 90 90 position with your legs. Google it, you might be able to find something. Maybe I can just Google it now and see if it comes up. It's supposed to be a stretch for your, I think your hips. Um, But if you assume this position and then lift yourself up, it can be a good activator for the hips as well. Yeah, so if you search 1990, you'll see what the stretch looks like. And it's about, look at where the front foot is and lifting up so you're up on your knees. It's a, it's a dynamic movement to turn on the hips. And I know people say you don't turn on muscles, they're not light switches, but the idea is that you're telling them you're you're telling them to activate and the next movements that i'm going to do i'm going to go for a run you should be working the same way i'm working you now so like i said take it or leave it um and then the second one was injury with running. So I basically said, I'm super duper scared of getting injured. What can I do? Uh, I didn't say it like that, but it was basically how do I prevent injury? How do most runners get injured? And in a nutshell, the idea behind that was it's if you make massive jumps in your training. So if you are if, if, how do I say this? Oh my God, what's the time? Um, if you're running, if you go from never having ran before to then running 10 kilometers, 
five kilometers even, that's a big risk, a, a bigger risk of injury because your body's not used to it yet. Compare that to never having run before and then running a kilometer and then running a little bit further and a little bit further, much safer. So the distance has to do with the likelihood of injury if you're running too far to what your body's used to. Speed, if you've only ever done light runs where you're only going, say, 50% effort, and then all of a sudden you're doing the same distance, but you're going 80, 90%. Your body's not used to that. It's not used to sustaining that high amount of effort for that amount of time. Increases likelihood of injury. And then the last one is injury. If you've ran a certain distance for your whole life, for years, and then you decide to change your technique, say for me, is I've never thought about running technique. Then when I looked into it, I realized that if you, it's beneficial to be midfoot balls of your feet striking, not heel striking. So I've made more effort to go up on the balls of my feet. I can't maintain that for as long a distance as I can run. And if I was to continually try to do that, that change in technique compounds every step. And if I'm doing long enough of a distance, that could cause injury. So essentially with running, the most likely ways to get injured is to make massive jumps in progress and not slowly, incrementally, and patiently making progress with whatever your goal is, whether it be a distance or a time or to just have better technique. I think, I think the main people that might listen to this podcast would be familiar with minimalist shoes, right? So if you bought minimalist shoes, you don't just immediately start running in them. You kind of have to wear them in. And I don't mean the shoe. I mean, wear your foot muscles in, uh, the tendons, the ligaments, and get them used to what it feels like to not have much support at all, but still be demanding they you know, take you around to wherever you're going, whether it be trail or just walking maybe out. So you need to slowly get into that. If you just went and ran 5Ks in minimalist shoes and you'd never worn minimalist shoes before, your feet are gonna feel it. So the last takeaway was to incrementally build up with running. My One of my running friends, I'm pretty sure it was them, was talking about the 10% rule, which is basically any kind of progress should come in the form of only a 10% increase on what it currently is. And... For some people, that might not work. They might want to improve faster, get better quicker, be a superhero. But for me, I'm happy to go the path of least resistance when it comes to injury. And incremental gains for me are fine over the long term to avoid the likelihood of damaging anything along the way just for the sake of saying, I'm better now. Um, now where are we? The other week, the other day, I ran, what would you do in this situation, hey? I ran my five kilometer at an organized running event and someone ran past me and they were right up on their toes, which was the technique that I'm looking to do. And they were doing it well. So when the race finished, I approached them 
and I said, I noticed you went past me and you had really good technique up on your toes. I was wondering, did you train to run like that? And if so, what did you do to get that technique? And they essentially said to me, they've always ran like that. Don't told me, don't change your technique. Everyone runs different and everyone has a way that they run. And that's how you should do it. This is just summarized. And I was, I was, you know, listening, nodding along and not saying anything to oppose that because I approached him and asked for his take on it. But to me, to say, don't change your technique, everyone runs, like everyone's bodies are different and run how they're meant to, is to say no one ever runs wrong. He might have meant that if you do run wrong, you will ch- in, innately change that so that you would obviously not run in a way that's uncomfortable. But I think that's giving too much credit to some to people that might not have the knowledge of what a certain training pain means or what certain pains mean to do with training with the you know is it an injury is it their body just sore from a hard workout whatever it's putting too much responsibility in the hands of people that can be uneducated with this kind of thing to just say just run how you're meant to it'd be like someone squatting and me saying or them saying hey you squat well you squat ass to grass and you keep your chest up or something i have trouble doing that and i just say no squat everyone's built different squat just squat and that's how it's meant to be well no a lot of people have trouble or don't understand the right cues of pushing the knees out keeping the chest up things like that and unless you're coached to do that that's always going to be worse form than it could be you could always have possibly very likely improved if you got the right technique so because i asked the guy i didn't want to challenge it because i also had that mindset of me being the noob so not wanting to go actually i think different um and it I didn't feel like I had enough evidence to back up even challenging what he was saying. But have you thought about... uh, So I just listened, but was thinking that to say that people just run how they're meant to doesn't seem right. Surely there's some things that are gray along that scale that some people could work for, some people do this different in their world class. But I also feel like there would be some things that are black and white in terms of running. And I think a heel strike would definitely not be desirable. And midfoot on your toe would be. So be interested to hear what you guys think about that. Um, Maybe what you would have said and maybe what your thoughts are on that. God, I don't want this podcast to be bogged down too much with running talk, but it really has been lately. But uh, it is good, and it's just something I denied for so long because I didn't think it was helpful in any way. And then the last thing in my current events is just kind of like a warning, you know? Like, I just want to warn you guys of something. 
something that works on social media. And I'm kind of involved in it a little bit. Not that I contribute to this, but I'm in the the realm of this kind of social media influencer. And it's just, it's information or advice from fitness people or nutrition people. And it's not bad advice. And it's, to a large extent, true, factual, applicable. But, and in a way, this is clever. It's posts or videos on things that are framed to be like, what's like a, I probably should have prepared a good example. Um, where they'll give you advice and it kind of just reaffirms what you already know. But I think people get a dopamine rush of reading like they know that gymnastics is a great foundation movement, right? And they see a post that says, a lot of people don't know, but gymnastics is one of the greatest foundational movements you can do. Many adults struggle with the muscle up and lack the mobility in the shoulder to get the transition through to the dip phase. And you're having like a mental orgasm because you've watched the Stronger series and follow a bunch of other people that all talk about this gymnastics and how great it is. So you already know that, but you're getting this dopamine rush because information you know and already know is being spouted by someone claiming to be, maybe they are, an expert or knowledgeable in the field. And they frame it in a way that it's like new for you. And so many people do this. And I've been guilty of, you know, reading it and being like, ah, maybe I should follow this page. Then I'm like, hold up. I'm curious and and wanting to like this post because it's told me that honey and sugar are essentially the exact same thing. I already fucking knew that. So why am I so happy that I've found a page that finally speaks like me, cut out all the nutrition bullshit? It's not protein that makes you fat. It's not carbohydrates that makes you fat. It's not even fat that makes you fat. It's the overconsumption of calories that more you burn. Oh, like, like, like. They speak like me. We already know this. What people are doing nowadays is just working out ways to reframe knowledge that skeptical people that do their research already know. But we like it because it's appealing to our in a dialogue or narrative or what we want other people to know as well. So we support it. And uh, I just think there should be a bit more effort going into putting out newer, new ideas. And I mean, it, stuff can't, won't always be new and you should reiterate stuff because people can forget things or maybe something trends that's actually not true. So it's good to remind people of how things actually are. You don't actually lose weight from drinking this tea. But um, yeah, it it just seems like a cheap way to post that you know your shit.
to reframe stuff that people already know. And if they don't know it, why are you appealing to the lowest common denominator? Um, so yeah, maybe I could have thought about it a bit longer and articulated it, but it's something I've noticed and just to be wary of is are the people you're getting your information from, are they actually contributing to your world of knowledge and improving it? Or are they just saying things you already know and framing it in a way that makes you cheer, be a cheerleader for them? It's all about contributing, coming from a guy that does weekly podcasts. I think I think if I didn't have anything to contribute, I wouldn't do the podcast. I think there's something valuable in talking about this kind of thing. And I hope it is for you guys as well. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. I feel like I shakily got through this one with a few few ramblings there. Um, remember to hashtag Tysonversation if there's anything you want me to specifically talk about. Um, I'm not the best at reminding on Instagram or on my YouTube feed to send in your questions. So just remember to hashtag it anytime and I'll search the hashtag before the show and see if there's any questions or current events you want me to talk about because it can sway the conversation. If you think I'm talking too much about running, then send in some questions about calisthenics or Olympic weightlifting or anything else. So that wraps up as we enter our double digits for podcasting. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Remember to rate the podcast, to rape it. Remember to rate the podcast um, in iTunes or on Spotify. The seems to bump it up in terms of its status, making it more popular than ever. So more people view it. And as we continue to find our feet in this podcast space, I want to thank everyone that's been watching so far to make this a fun little 30 to 60 minutes of my week talking to you guys. Thanks so much. I hope to be able to keep on doing it for a little bit longer. And I will talk to you guys next week for Tyson Versation 11.